Bow with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today with gratitude for your mercy and your grace. We live in a land of plenty, of freedom, and opportunity, and we say thank you. So we pray for our country that you will continue to be merciful and gracious and help us, Lord, to use the plenty we have to bless those less fortunate, as we heard in the missionary report. Lord, we're mindful of the purpose, why you put us here. You put us here to worship you, to praise you with all that we are and all that we have. We are created for worship. And so we want to worship and praise you with joy and with gladness in our hearts. And Lord, the opportunities of service that you give to us, you give us for that purpose, to bring you honor and glory and praise as we serve one another. In this world, there's so much pain and so much sorrow in so many places in the lives of so many people. And you want to demonstrate your love, your compassion, and your mercy through us to others. We thank you for those opportunities. And so, Lord, as we celebrate Canada Day this weekend, help us to be mindful, to keep our hearts tuned toward you with thanksgiving and praise. May our lives be the radiance of your glory to those that we meet. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. On Sunday morning, we come to this place we call church. We're here. All of us here are, we would say, at church. And that's not wrong, it's true, but it's so much bigger than that. It it goes way beyond that. And we say we go to church, we want to worship. That's true, too. And again, it's, it's, our worship was not just confined to these four walls, at least it shouldn't be. I'm also mindful of the fact that sometimes things can get boring in life, whether it's at church, like this place, or in our daily lives. And, and it's possible, it shouldn't be, but it's possible that this becomes one more thing on the checklist, you know. Got to do it. Check it off, and you know how you check off when you do the dishes, and you check off when you sweep the floor, and check off when you clean the garage, and check off when you cut the grass, and stuff like that. And this here today can become that. It shouldn't. In fact, none of our things in life should become just a to-do list. Unfortunately, they do. Our worship should never be a checklist thing. In the Bible, we have a lot of passages that speak on the topic of worship. In fact, it's, it's amazing to see when you look into Scripture a little bit, what the Bible really talks about, or how much the Bible mentions worship. And when we look across the world, people worship basically everywhere they are. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't in one way, shape, or form worship. And even people who claim there's no God, they still are devoted and committed and sold out for something. And so the the statement that has been made sometimes is, we cannot not worship. I think it's actually true. I think all of us, in one way, shape, or form, do worship. Worship is part of how we're wired, how we're designed, how we're built. And people have argued about this idea. People have, people have disputed and debated and argued back and forth, what is worship? And I want to read the first passage of scripture out of uh, John chapter 4. I don't know if I can use this thing from here. Let's see. Okay, it works. John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus is at the well with the Samaritan woman, and she's asking him, where the place is to worship. And she sees an opportunity. Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. He's a prophet. And so she asks him, you Jews say, 
and Jerusalem is the place to worship, and we Samaritans say, and this mountain among Gerizim is the place to worship. Now, what's the real place? In John 4.21, Jesus says, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship Him, must worship in spirit and truth. Do you think this woman expected that? I don't think so. She had it figured out. It was one of these two. And Jesus was now going to give her the right answer. That was her understanding. She got it wrong. I wonder sometimes how many times we have it figured out and we still get it wrong. I think that's possible. And it's important for us to have a close relationship with God. And it will not be the exact same way for everybody, but there's one key component of worship that's universal. For everyone who worships God, that is the relationship factor. You cannot worship God outside of a relationship with Him. It's hollow and empty and meaningless if you try. I was reading this morning in one of the quotes. I usually like to read quotes by Tozer and those guys. And He said, Your theology can be as straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. Just the fact that we know these things even does not make worship real. It has to be, there has to be substance there. David wrote about that quite a bit. Let's read Psalm chapter 145 beginning verse 1. Psalm 145 beginning verse 1 says, A psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you my God and King and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. It's quite a long chapter. We will briefly look at these passages, but look at the timelessness of worship. The internal, the eternal component of it. Worship is something that we cannot bind in time and package in time. It is done in time. He describes it with a dimension of eternity to it. The words that are spoken, the deeds that are done, we do with that dimension in it. Think about it. When we worship God with our praises and our songs and our prayers and our good deeds, what is said can never be unsaid. What is done can never be undone. It's done for all eternity. There's something that is timeless about this. In fact, if you read Revelation, it says the prayers of the saints are stored in containers. Maybe it's figurative speech, but they're not wasted. They are stored. They are recorded and kept. The psalmist says he will praise God forever and ever. A follower of Jesus has that in him. He's a, he or she is a, an eternal being. With eternity. We're all eternal beings, but this is an eternal part of us that will always be there. This does not mean that you and I are in church every single Sunday morning or every day the church doors are open does not mean that. But it means that his, that the praise, the worship is in our hearts continually. The psalmist was not at the temple every single day either. And the another interesting thing about him is it's, it's continual. It, even it's the internal part is there, but it's the continual part. And then he goes into worship. 
is great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell his children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. He is worthy. We all know that this place is the, this world's a place of much suffering, much pain, much wickedness, much corruption. And sometimes we do literally stop and ask ourselves, why Lord, why? And He's not angry at us for asking those questions. And we do not have the answers and He doesn't give us all the information. But the psalmist directs our thoughts toward God continually. Keep on trusting. God put us here for His glory to show His love to us and for us to show our praise to Him. God's greatness is not less because of all the pain in this world. If anything, it's an opportunity. The problems in this world are an opportunity for us to embrace and to worship God through helping people in the midst of their pain and suffering. It's a psalmist's desire that each following generation will continue this with the knowledge of God and proclaim His mighty acts with His power. One of the things I read this last week, and it's discouraging, one writer said, the evangelical church in North America is losing the aspect of prayer. We're too busy, too other-focused. Prayer is being diminished. I'm not saying in every church, and please don't think I'm trying to put a guilt trip on us. Just stating a fact. We as a church don't have to go that path. We can still be what the psalmist describes we should be. Then he switches to his part what he will do. Notice it. I will will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Isn't this awesome? There's meditation. There's proclamation, there's singing, and there's joy. And again, as I said before, it's not the same for everybody. You go to a church in Africa, for instance, where Jesus is being praised. There's such a commotion that you could probably wonder, is everybody okay? You go to some of the more conservatives, you wonder, is, are they all alive? You just don't know for sure. And it's not a right or wrong question, it's where's the heart? Is our heart in tune with Jesus? I never got to know my grandmother on my mother's side. I wish I had. But my mother's told me stories. My mother's old now, and now she tells me maybe more stories than she ever did. Anyway, one story my mother told me was how her mother would go out at night, in the evening, after dark. This was in Mexico, in the state of Chihuahua. And it's kind of a high, about 6,000 feet above sea level where they lived. And so the skies at night are wonderfully clear. The air was clear. It was kind of cool in the evening. The air cooled off so nicely. Not so muggy, you know. Um, but anyway, I liked it. We lived there too for years, years ago. Anyway, so my mother told me this story that her mother would go out after dark in the evening and by the garden, there was a fence around the garden and the gate and she would lean on the gate with her arms on the gate and just look into the sky for a long time. That was her meditation. That was her worship. How do we worship? Is our work an act of worship? It is. Do we take time to worship, to reflect, to meditate, to think? 
We live in such a noisy world, so polluted with sound, with gadgets. And I'm not saying the gadgets are sin. I'm talking on for one. I have one right here. But we must discipline ourselves and control ourselves. Am I in tune with Jesus? Am I in tune with God? I'll be worshiping Him for eternity. If I'm in heaven with Him, that's my whole eternal destiny. To receive from Him and give back to Him. To reflect back to Him. Am I doing that here? Am I doing that now? The psalmist says, I will, and he's doing it. And, and, and it's been written down for us to read today. And I'm not judging technology. Let's just not worship technology. I think about my grandmother. I wish I had gotten to know her. She would stand there for hours. Well, I shouldn't say hours, she didn't say that, but she would stand there for long periods of time just looking into the sky. And if you ever get to go to a country where you're up high up on a mountain where the sky is clear, not the air is clear, look into the universe. You see the stars. It is truly a majestic sight to behold. And it's not that we can't do it here. We can do it here. Sometimes in the morning when I go for walks, I've mentioned previous Sunday, I go by the marina and I see the ducks with the little ducklings and the geese with the goslings and I see it. It is a beautiful sight. And I look at God's wonderful creation. In my mind I can just see it. And it's good. But we also know not all has stayed good in this world. Not all is good in this world. It says, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone who showers compassion on all his people. Okay, sounds good. But in what context? Where is mercy needed? Where wrong has happened? Where is compassion needed? Where pain has happened? Why slow to get angry? Because somebody has transgressed. That's the nature of the God we serve. It speaks of struggle, of pain, and God embraces even that. As we heard in the missionary the mission report, medicinal intervention is important and we do what we can with what we have at given times, but only so far. There's the need for the heart connection, the compassion, the mercy, intervention. There has been a breakdown of what God has created. Sometimes when... We just think about this. Imagine what it must have been like in the Garden of Eden. No accidents. No fear. No pain. No sorrow. Just beauty, warmth, coolness of the evening, a spring-like environment, paradise. And then it went wrong. God didn't get angry. He had compassion. He had mercy. And he did things that were uncomfortable. He removed them from the garden for their own good. We need messages like that in our time. We need to be told these things because the world in which you and I live is not the paradise anymore. In, in the Garden of Eden, it was very good. That's not our experience. We see so much brokenness, so much pain, so much need for mercy and compassion. And God demonstrates that. He is that. The psalmist knew that and he wrote about it for our sake to read today. He says, all of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They'll speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds 
and about the majesty and the glory of your reign. Proclamation is happening. There is no silence here, no remaining quiet. There is thankfulness, there is praise, giving examples of God's power. It was not quiet, it was not timid. It was bold, it was loud, and it was powerful. It sounds like boasting, doesn't it? Paul wrote in his letters to the Timothy that he would boast, in his, in his, to the churches rather, that he would boast in Christ and Christ alone. That's our privilege too. That's something you and I as followers of Jesus need to learn, need to practice, and need to do. And we do not need to apologize for being followers of Jesus. We're not boastful and arrogant in and of ourselves. We're boastful and proud of Jesus, who he is. And the beauty of all that God has and God does. His mercy and compassion. An ever-loving, ever-merciful, compassionate God. Who would not want to get to know him? Not a quiet message to be whispered. A message to be lived boldly and courageously. A message of power and glory. Notice what he says next. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule through all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. That's the kingdom that God rules. That's the kingdom he has constructed. All these kingdoms in the world right now, they don't amount to much. They won't last. None of them has lasted. None of them will last. It's temporary. Every one of them. As much as we love our country, Canada, I'm sure many others love their countries too, which is great. They won't last. But God's kingdom will last. And we do well, for instance, to just pause from time to time and consider this God, His eternal kingdom. No beginning and no end forever and ever. He rules throughout the generations. And no one is exempt from His rule. And He keeps His promises. And he gives us hope. Notice what he says in verse 14. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. All God's creation is completely dependent on God. And he wants what's best for his creation. I sometimes think about this. We work so hard, whether it's farming, manufacturing, whatever it may be, we work so hard, and yet we're so utterly and completely and totally dependent upon Him. If my health fails, then I can't work and earn an income. Same for all of us. If the environment, let's say we don't get rain, if we don't have rain, crops can't grow, food can't be produced, we can't eat. Natural catastrophes can hit, destroying life. God controls all of it. One thing the psalmist does not say, but I'm sure he knew, was this. God uses his people to meet many of the needs. For instance, think about salvation. We talk about God coming down and saving us from our sin. That's true. But how did he do it? Becoming a human. Ever thought of that? Saved through the man Jesus Christ, the Paul writes. Also an act of worship. Think about that. So it's one thing for me to go and meet the needs of a poor person and help him out, which is great. 
And it's small, perhaps. I can't do much, maybe. But God values it highly. It's an act of worship to Him. But the act, greatest act of worship that ever was performed was the gift of salvation. And Hebrews talks about that. He saved humanity through His own Son, but as a human being. What greater worship than that? All eyes are on God, the psalmist says. And he sends his messengers. Sends you and myself, you and me. That's how mission work is done. God has not left this sin-stricken world to itself. And he's very much involved. And you know how he's involved with you and me. He's active, he's alive, he's working his ways in this world through the service of worship that you and I do throughout the week. Not just Sunday morning, Sunday morning sure, but not just Sunday morning, but throughout the week. And it's not always easy. It sometimes hurts. It's painful because it costs something. But it's glorious. We read some of that in the scriptures that were read to us in the opening. And these problems in the world, they tend to sometimes derail people, making them discouraged. But they do not have to topple us. They do not have to drag us down. No, we can rise above this in our trials and hardships and still worship and praise God. The Lord is righteous in everything he does, the psalmist writes. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him, yes, to all who call on him in truth. There's relationship. And how you and I relate to God will depend on how we receive this goodness and kindness from him. He's filled with it. Have you experienced God that way? Have you and I come to know him like that? He presents himself to us in many ways. Maybe it's through the laughter and the smile of a little child. Maybe somebody you meet on the street Maybe somebody you work alongside. We must always remember, we cannot play games or pretense with God. He is God. We are his creation. He does not expect us to be God. We cannot be God. We are his creation. Created to wonder, to adore, to worship and to praise. And so doing, we are fulfilling the purpose for which God designed us. And in doing so, we will receive the satisfaction of having done what God created us to do. And we will receive the blessing. He says he grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. That's a beautiful saying there. So have you experienced this desire in your heart? If you have not experienced it, I would pray that you do. If you have, if you have not experienced he's not angry at you for that. Perhaps your desire is not what you want it to be. Maybe you feel like this person who says, Lord, help my unbelief. He will not let that go unheard. But there is anger toward sin and evil. And those who practice it, he says, he will destroy the wicked. You and I do not have to be part of that team. So let's wrap this up this morning. Worshiping God is something we're made to do. And we do it in a number of different ways. We do it when we rise in the morning. Getting ourselves ready for the day. Do we do that with a worshipful attitude toward God? 
getting our lunch ready, breakfast, going to work, working with our co-workers. Do we do it there? Are we a delight to be around? Do people experience in us the ray of hope, the ray of gladness, like a, like a radiance that comes from us? Or are we those kinds of people when you come close, there's too much, it's like a cloud that comes around. It's, it's, there's a darkness, a gloom around us. We can choose that. God made us for glory. He uses us for His glory. He blesses us with talents. He blesses us with skills and resources and opportunities to praise and worship Him through the things that He's given us. So let's ask this question this morning. Are you worshiping God? You're worshiping something or someone. Some people worship idols that will not last. It can be an object, it can be a thing, it can be a person, or a skill, or a talent. We see that in the entertainment world, we see that in the work world, the business world. All kinds of idols exist and don't have to go into detail. Let's make sure that what we worship, or who we worship, is the eternal Father, His Son Jesus Christ. Worship Him and be with Him for eternity. So as a child of God this morning, I encourage you, today, this week, seek to reach out to another human being. Love them with the love of Jesus. Show kindness. Show compassion. And in so doing, worship God. And as you reach out, you will find out you will be the one who receives the blessing. Perhaps you're someone here this morning who does not yet have a relationship with Jesus. You're still a worshiper. You're made to worship and you worship something. Jesus is inviting you to himself. He became a man worshipping the Father and the greatest act of service that he ever gave was when he died on the cross to save us from our sins as a man. He wants us to follow him. He died on the cross to save us so we can worship. You have an opportunity today to repent and turn your life to Jesus. And when you do, you take up your cross and follow Jesus, you become a worshipper. It's a road to glory. You will always be glad you did. May God give us all grace and strength to live and worship Him in majesty. Let us bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this morning's opportunity. It's a great day. It's a glorious day. And each one of us has been given opportunity to worship and praise you. No one is exempt. Not a single one. Every one of us has the ability, the capacity, and opportunity to worship you and praise you. And Lord, we do it sometimes even without knowing. And I just thank you for the opportunities. Thank you for this church, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be that light, that example as we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.